Welcome to the video podcast, Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed, where truth and unity matter. Take the deep dive with highly influential voices in and around the 9-11 truth movement. Welcome back, everybody, to Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed. It is my distinct pleasure to bring to you the guests that make the difference. In tonight's case, we have a whistleblower, a surprise whistleblower, surprise to me and many, many others, a new voice in the 9-11 Truth Movement coming about after 20 years. Yep, he was at the Pentagon. I'll tell you more about him in a moment. But uh, first, I wanted to uh, make a couple of announcements and invite my wonderful assistant and wife, uh, Ms. Gail Gage. Hello, Gail. Hello, Richard. Hi, everybody. Good to be back. <laughs> it is incredible to be back. And guess what? Uh, we are uh, all about it Um tonight, aren't we? Can you believe the guests that we have? Oh, so exciting. Yes. <clears throat> Very yeah. exciting. And you're feeling better. Uh, you've got I am. Um, on the mend. Yes. I had a terrible flu, you guys, and my voice probably still sounds funny. And if I start having a coughing fit, I'm going to put myself on mute. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> and I'll fill in uh, for you uh, when you, when you, uh, if that does happen, <clears throat> but I've got something and I'm dealing with too. But um, yeah. let me tell everybody, if you didn't know, if you've been hiding under a bush, um, uh, I am not with AE 9-11 Truth anymore, the organization that I founded and nurtured for 15 years. Uh, there was a mishap and um, it has to do with me stretching my wings Unauthorized stretching of the wings. How's that term, Gail? That works. <laughs> uh, another way to look at it, I've discovered just today, uh, is that um, I've outgrown AE 9-11 Truth. And uh, as a result, I got, I got uh, kicked out of the nest. <laughs> and so uh, there's nothing stopping us now. I mean... Uh, uh, we are on the run, and tonight is literal proof of of this. Now, we still, I still support AE 911 Truth. You should still s support them. They're still very important. Um, but we can go places together that uh, they couldn't possibly go. And so, uh, one of those, um, well, one of the activities we're starting is announcing officially tonight a monthly conference series called 9-11 Con. Get it? Uh, yeah, it's a conference and uh, it's a con job and it's coming real fast. We're working on the graphics for it. We're organizing the first conference, which incidentally, if not coincidentally, is on the Pentagon. We will have the three leading voices, at least, from the Pentagon issues 
this, this set of Pentagon uh, theories, uh, Barbara Honiger, David uh, Chandler, uh, Craig McKee, we hope to have on, uh, still looking for commitment from Craig. And um, uh, we'll be delighted uh, to have these voices. Each of them will have a, an hour and a half on Saturday, March 19th, starting at 10 o'clock. And uh, they will have the opportunity to ask each other questions after a solo presentation, solo except for me, who will be asking a few questions along the way and making sure I understand exactly what they're saying, because I'm coming into the Pentagon issue pretty cold. Um, it, it has been a bit, little bit of a frightening uh, subject uh, for me because uh, I've gotten stung a couple of times and I'll probably get stung again, right, Gail? <laughs> it's yeah. inevitable. Yeah. But um, so that's what's happening. And uh, be sure to join us. You can ask them questions as well after all three of them have had an opportunity to present their theory. So uh, with that said, uh, Gail, uh, last uh Last um, Tuesday, we had an incredible guest, too, just so people know who that yes. was. And he was a um, kind of a surprise because at the last minute, he was able to come on board. And his name was Adam Taylor. And he actually um, debunked the um, Popular Mechanics debunker. So uh, uh -huh. journalists from Popular Mechanics attempted to debunk Richard's theory and the whole you know, 9-11 truth theory. And Adam did an amazing job of debunking the debunker. So we're super proud. And he's, what an awesome, awesome guy. He's, he had a lot of surprises. Just he's very intellectual, very smart, did an awesome job with the podcast. I was yeah. so happy. Yeah. And, and then, um, go ahead. I was going to say next week we have Matt Scow. Is that how you pronounce his name? Scow? Mm-hmm. Yes, and you're more familiar with him. You could share a little bit about his background. Yeah, and did he get, did he get back to us? Because I don't want to share anything unless he got back to us. Um, not that I could see from about. All I right, checked my email. Um, what so. we're going to do is is uh, keep that a mystery. Our, our guest coming up uh, on Tuesday. We we do the podcast Richard Gage Nine Eleven Unleashed twice a week, uh, and and. Uh, if, if we don't have him, we will have an even, uh, well, if it's possible, a more exciting guest, too. Um, <laughs> sorry, Matt. Uh, any other announcements before we get on to our incredible guest tonight, Gail? Well, we, you also had the webinar, um, Architect's Guide, the part one on Tuesday. So you guys, if you didn't catch it, you can get that first part. And then next Tuesday, we'll be doing part two. And then after that, part three. So if you can get them in yeah. sequence, it's awesome. Yeah. The webinar is called 9-11 and Architect's Guide, a three-part series. Part one uh, we did, which was on the World Trade Center 7, the 47-story skyscraper that drops like a rock straight down uniformly into its own footprint in under seven seconds. If you don't know about it, join most of the rest of the world, but get educated. It's free on YouTube to watch. This next Tuesday is part two, as Gail said, and that is the mm -hmm. Twin Towers and Explosive Destruction. Yes, and part I, one was on Building 7. So, yes, yeah, part two is, is really important. Towers, explosive mm -hmm. Destruction, and part three is the Twin Towers Extreme Heat which we go into yes. the evidence of chemical incendiaries. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway, that happens three times a month on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific. And it's all free to watch on YouTube. Yes, Gail, and I we keep that's, about, huh? that's all we have time for. Okay. Now you go right um, ahead. What do you got? Give no, it to I was going to share just a reminder about Anarchapoco, and they have um, oh. Richard's speaker affiliation code, which is simply Richard Gage 911. And so very soon that will be up. I know we keep saying this, but it will be up on the website very soon, exactly how you can connect and watch virtually. You can be in a, a virtual Actually, attendee. it is up on the website now. <gasps> Yay! Okay. I'm behind. Yeah, we, well, we posted that article just the other day, and uh, Anarchapoco is... Uh, a, a group of freedom-loving anarchists. Now, um, many of you have images of people, violent people in black shirts, uh, mm -hmm. doing things. When you think of anarchy, and that's the way they have media has uh, cast them. But guess what? Uh, there's a whole group out there. Uh, in fact, you can learn more by visiting uh, anarchapolco.com. Yeah, anarchapolco. It's, it's, a, it's we'll play anyway, on words there. Look at our website. Uh, yeah. Richard Gage 911.org. And uh, you can uh, learn about our speaking event there coming up February. It's from 13th. the 12th, no, from the 14th through the 18th of February. There we go. 14 to yes. 18. You yes. can come and join us there virtually. And you can buy a ticket and you can get a 10% discount on. Uh, using the the code uh, that you'll find on the article, which is on our website, which is richardgage911.org. You'll also find on the website our new film, 9-11 Crime Scene to Courtroom, that we have raised a third of the funds already to, to make it. We've begun development, and it is exciting. We're taking the evidence that you're you're seeing in the webinars and we're getting it into the court in, in front of the grand jury in the form of a film, which will be submitted as a supplement to the 60 exhibits. Um, so the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, uh, you can learn more there at lc4911.org, lcfor911.org. Is that it, Gail? That'll do. <laughs> Okay. Yes. So I'll, I'll be taking you guys go ahead and remember to ask those questions during the podcast. Uh, they'll be in the comment section of the social media that you're on, either Facebook or LinkedIn, and I believe Twitter also. So leave your comments and the questions there and I'll get the questions and we'll I'll copy them over so that we can ask our guest and he can answer all your questions for you. Fantastic. And uh, yes, no, I hope you have a lot of questions, a lot of, a lot of good ones tonight. Thanks, Gail. Thank and uh, we'll let you go. And I'll introduce our wonderful guest um, who, uh, where, where did I go? Oh, I know what I did. I got to, I got to find my, my thingy. And <laughs> here it is. All right. Um, why is Private Adam Eisenberg finally coming forth after 20 years? What did he see and experience inside the Pentagon as he was recovering bodies? Whose bodies did he recover? Pentagon employees? Plane passengers? What plane parts did Adam 
find inside the Pentagon. By the way, he's an expert in plane engine parts, <laughs> Pratt and Whitney in particular. While serving in the Army as a member of Alpha Company, 3rd U.S. Infantry, Adam Eisenberg spent approximately 240 hours on site inside the Pentagon with at least 100 of his fellow servicemen from Alpha Company, 3rd U.S. Infantry. He was at the Pentagon from September 11th. He arrived that afternoon, and they worked until September 30th in a recovery operation. In addition to being a first responder with extensive time on site, he also tells a 9-11 story spanning 20 years that you won't find in the mainstream media. From professional working experience with aeronautical engine parts to investigative journalism work that is currently digging to find answers, Adam is devoted to telling his story in hopes that a new federal investigation into the events or international investigation, if that's where it needs to go, of 9-11 uh, can finally occur. In addition to pursuing 9-11 truth, his greatest passions are marathon running, raising awareness, and that's good because we're in a marathon uh, in the 9-11 truth movement. So uh, maybe he can teach us a few things about stamina. Raising awareness of veterans' issues is also a passion of his and helping others find their why. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please uh, help me give a warm, unleashed welcome to uh, Mr. Adam Eisenberg. Adam, welcome. How are you, sir? Thank you so much for the kind words, and it's great to be on here with you and Gail. Yeah, it's uh, incredible yeah. to have you. And, uh, and while Gail says goodbye to you, we'll all... Uh, We'll all uh, say hello and goodbye, Gail. We're going to let go to you, let go of you, so you can do your job. All right, there she goes, Adam. This is an incredible opportunity. Um, what I, when, when you well, t tell us where it all started. How did you? How did? How did you? Why did you join the army? For goodness' sake. You know, I, I looked at a world burning. And this was about a year ago. And the things that I'm going to be saying tonight, I've been saying for quite some time. I've been saying them to my close friends and family members, really. Um, and that's why I, I got to tell you, I look so much up to the people that are in the truth movements right now, because you all have paved the way. Um, and, and I finally just looked at a world that was burning about this time last year in the face of certain mandates coming down the pike. I just wanted to go forth and give my testimony. And I did so on YouTube. And I just wanted to share with people that, uh, you know, I don't believe that people, you know, the federal government is trustworthy and I don't think that they should be mandating anything. And, um, you know, it, it was really my point to just start to show um, my experience and just start to illuminate um, some of the um, greatest atrocities that have been committed, I believe, at the hands of our government. And, um, <clears throat> you know, when I when I gave my testimony, um, which can be found on YouTube. I had no idea that I was going to continue to take it to the next level, but it's turned into something for me that I just um, cannot and will not put down. Um, it's kind of like a sweater. The more I keep pulling on strings, um, the more I keep finding and uncovering. And oh, so, that kind um, of okay. 
But it's great to be on board and it's just great to collaborate with people like yourself. It's an honor, truly. Oh, thank you, Adam. And it's an honor to have you on. We've had the opportunity to talk now uh, for quite a while and I've been quite impressed with your story. I think it's brand new information, if you will, to the larger 9-11 truth movement. And um, so let's let's uh, let's do talk about uh, how you came to join the army. Absolutely. So is this the uh, the truth army or are we talking about the actual army itself? <laughs> well, I was talking about the U.S. Army. We'll get to the truth army, I'm Wonderful. sure. And I understand well, you have some slides to share with us, too. Absolutely. I just want to make sure I had access to that and um, I can I'm ready to go and I can control that at any point in time. Um, right. What I like to do is just kind of walk everybody very quickly through um, where I came from as far as my military experience, what makes my um, perspective a little bit different than most. I also like to sprinkle in some of the other things that I've been trying to find answers to, because believe it or not, my experience with really questionable things started before I ever was on site. And so I like to talk about that as well um, and really just um, you know get into the weeds about what I saw, what I didn't see, and uh, just answer as many questions as I possibly can in the time that's allotted, and then just kind of share with everybody my why and just my understanding and my commitment. So right, I'm looking forward to it. Wonderful. Well, we'll jump right in then. Um, so obviously, my time at the Pentagon spanned approximately 240 hours from September 11th to September 30th, 2001. Um, I did this with a company. Um, called Alpha Company 3rd U.S. Infantry. It's actually the oldest active infantry company in the Army. It's part of the old guard. Um, this was my, um, my uh, re recommendation for award for time spent on site from uh, September 11th to September 30th. Um, I know that when you make the kind of claims that I make, uh, you have to provide as much evidence as you possibly can to show that you, know, you were there. Um, that your your information is credible. So I wanted to start there uh, really quickly, just going down the lines for this award. This is a uh, an actual military documentation, but I wanted to really highlight the key points because it can be kind of hard to see with the uh, with the picture, but just says Private Eisenberg aided military and civilian authorities in the recovery and removal of remains from the Pentagon crash site under hazardous conditions. Um, I also served in the capacities of heavy labor and light labor work force in the removal of debris from the crash site. The third bullet point is that I provided continuous support to federal and local authorities in securing the perimeter of the crash site to include the securing of classified documents. And so for that, um, that was the write-up. This is the actual award that I received. Um, if it looks like it's a little bit worn, that's because um, that is the original. It's been through quite a bit in the last 20 years, um, but you can kind of even see the, the dates uh, right in front of you, including the um, the write-up for support of Operation Noble Eagle. Um, in the Army, we also love to give out certificates. Uh, so I received one of those from the Military District of Washington. Uh, this document, coincidentally, actually survived a flood uh, when Hurricane Isabel came up the East Coast when we were living in Old Town, Virginia. Our house flooded. And so that's why you can kind of see um, the discoloration uh, this has been restored, but it still has a little bit of wear and tear. Um, and please, you know, you're going to have to probably pause, you know, at a later date to see some of this stuff. But this is the gold for every single person getting out of the military, the DD-214, talking in great lengths about uh, what I did while I was in, time served, things of that nature. 
But uh, this is a picture that uh, shows that was taken um, on October 11th, 2001, uh, when we retired Alpha Company 3rd U.S. Infantry, specifically 3rd Platoon, uh, retired the flag that was hanging off that was um, displayed by the firefighters and first responders on site. Um, and it's my understanding that that flag, after we retired it, it was folded up, presented to General Jackson, who was the military district of Washington's um, chief. And then ultimately it hangs in the Smithsonian. But um, just further proof, uh, this actually, this picture can be found in the National Archives. Um, that's me at the ripe age of 20, um, second person from the left. Couldn't even buy a beer in a bar, but was going into the Pentagon. Uh, but digging a little bit further into my military career, just very briefly, um, Alpha Company, 3rd U.S. Infantry. Uh, what did we do um, and what did I do outside of serving at the Pentagon? So as part of the old guard, we had the duties of uh, laying um, our most honored to rest in Arlington Cemetery. What you guys are looking at right here is the first flag that I ever handed off as a non-commissioned officer. Um, I eventually got up to the rank of Sergeant E5. Uh, this is probably the most terrifying moment in my life. Um, going back a little further, we also, my military record will show that I completed over uh, 1,000 funerals in Arlington Cemetery. Um, that's me as a specialist with a casket team, a simple honors casket team. Um, I'm the second person from the right. We also did tactical training as infantrymen. Um, I was a saw gunner when this picture was taken. This was down at Fort AP Hill. Uh, we always, as a unit, wanted to maintain tactical proficiency as we were the escort to the president that was designed to fight to the last man, regardless of the circumstances in D.C. Um, a lot of time at the range, but we were an infantry company. And as such, uh, we did have some fun uh, And being in D.C. This is uh, a buddy of mine. We, we took some dates out to our the old guard ball and uh, we got dressed up and we took some pictures. And that's us stacking on a door at the FDR Memorial, just showing infantry tactics. That is uh, me getting smoked by an NCO. You never want to talk smack, um, but I always love to compete with my fellow NCOs. You know, me as a private getting into some barracks shenanigans. And then last but not least, I don't even know how this made it in there. That's uh, you know having some fun with my buddies in the streets of DC. Wait, 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 go back to that one. <laughs> is that picture upside down? You know, it's so funny when we were going through this for the first time, Richard said, you know, Adam, slide 16 is upside down. And I said, no, Richard, that's that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, so that was a we, we were really good at uh, really ridiculous forms of um, um, of working out. And that was called qualifying, where you basically have to hold yourself upside down in a on a, a tree or any kind of pole position. And I think somebody had dared me to do that while we were out in D.C., of course, I behaved like an angel the entire time. I don't know who this is. This is my twin, but I'm kidding. Okay. We'll leave that for another date, another time. But so there was a company out there. There was actually two companies that existed uh, from my unit that pulled um, a, a, a similar mission. We were basically there to assist federal employees from a variety of agencies over the course of time there. Alpha Company was on site from um, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And there was another company in my regiment. I'm not exactly sure which one that is, but I believe it was either Charlie or Delta Company of the Old Guard that was there from 6 in the morning until 6 p.m. This went on for several days. Um, but figured I'd walk you guys through the timeline and kind of tell you a little bit more 
um, starting with where I was on September 11th, unless you wanted me to uh, hold off and you wanted to get into some questions or anything like that, Richard. We'll take the questions at the end. Uh, so Gail's collecting those for us. You go right ahead. Okay. Well, on September 11th, I think we all know where we were. At this point in time, when everything started to kick off, I was at Conmee Hall at Fort Myer, Virginia, which is you know where we, as the old guard, did a lot of our um, indoor missions, including some of our uh, rehearsals for other more uh, bigger opportunities. And every single year, Alpha Company took part in a um, kind of a multifaceted um, army pageant that um, highlighted a number of different um, components of the army. And that was called Spirit of America. So we were at Conmy Hall rehearsing for that. And in the back of the, of the, of the base from Fort Myer, uh, right on the edge of the base is where Conmy Hall is. We just started to see a bunch of fire engines, uh, police cars, first responders continually just flying towards um, just across, you know, down the highway. We didn't know what was really happening. And uh, I'll never forget the first sergeant basically called a formation um, and indicated that the United States was under attack. And so we were very, very uh, challenged at that point in time. I don't know if you guys can see my mouse. I'm going to kind of direct it um, over here. But we were at Fort Myer in this area right here, and we had to get back to our base at Fort McNair in Washington, D.C., which is right in this area. Well, that proved to be very difficult. Obviously, the, the area was pretty hectic. There were a lot of people trying to get out of that area, um, and we were trying to get in. And so eventually, we ended up crossing near the Lincoln Memorial um, at that bridge up there near there. And um, we finally made our way by bus into D.C., but eventually it became gridlocked. And so at that point, uh, for about the last, I would say, half a mile through kind of, you know, southeastern D.C. near the um, fish market, um, right along the water, you know, two companies of infantry, or excuse me, two busloads of infantrymen were running uh, like a herd of buffalo through the streets of D.C., basically trying to get back to um, Fort McNair. And so that's where this is. Um, if you can kind of see here, my company's barracks was right here where I'm circling. Uh, we eventually made it back to Fort McNair. And at that point in time, our, um, our orders were to kind of stand firm and to also provide additional security. And so what they wanted were to, um, two kind of um, different elements. They wanted somebody out patrolling this seawall kind of all throughout here. And they wanted additional people at the front guard shack right in here. And so naturally, I was a private at that point in time. I was still relatively new to the unit. And I, feel, I felt, excuse me, like I had something to prove. And so in the Army, if you... You know, if, if they ask for volunteers, there better be, you know, there better be a whole entire company of hands going up. So I was very fortunate to get on that detail. Um, I was very excited. And the, the first thing I was told to do was to check out a weapon, an M16 from the arms room. Well, that's when the first question started to really kind of pop up. And um, that, that led me to believe that something just didn't seem right. And um, that was very simple. You know, you can see the proximity to the Pentagon that Fort McNair is. So we're very close here. Here's the Pentagon. Again, here's Fort McNair. I can literally look outside of my um, barracks and see smoke billowing off in the distance. 
um, from the Pentagon. And um, when I went down to check out my weapon, I wasn't given any um, ammunition. So I was basically given a blank magazine for an M16, just like the one that you see right here. Um, and when I brought that to the attention of the arms room specialist, and I can still hear his words to this day, you know, over 20 years later, he said, um, we have not been authorized by the post commander to use live ammunition. And so wait that was. Wait a minute. The, the country is under attack and you can't use live ammunition in your guns. You Which heard that correctly. Jeez. You heard that correctly. And not only that, we're, we're that close to to Washington, D.C. And, and, and so, you know, if anybody knows anything about our unit, they know that we're there to protect the region and the president in the event of anything. And so we are a credible target. Um, and especially we were given orders to perform additional security. Why was I not equipped uh, to do that? And, and going even further, the military police officer at the front gate that I linked up with at the time was very concerned. And I asked her, um, you know, do you have any live rounds in your nine mil? And to my knowledge, um, she said she only had a few. Um, so she hadn't been given any additional rounds or anything else. Um, very disheartening, especially for somebody that received their uh, stamp of approval through Fort Benning, through, you know, infantry um, training, basic and AIT and uh, the Army, just um, that, uh, you know, we weren't given the opportunity to defend ourselves. So AIT, it means what? Advanced individual training. That's where you go after basic to learn your job skill. Okay. So, but yeah, so that was kind of the first question that led me to believe that something might have been a bit off. So you're running um, around there on patrol with an empty gun. Completely empty. And I even said to the to the to the military police officer, I'm not interested in, you know, a show of force. If anything happens, I'm I'm probably going to take cover and 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 make sure that I'm, you know, not a target. But yeah, it didn't make any sense. And that's a question I'd still love to ask uh, General Jackson. He was in charge of the military district of Washington. Would love to get that answer. So that was the way it stayed for a little while. We, we were outside performing duty and we eventually came on orders. There was a lot of speculation as to what we were going to do. Uh, there were some guests that we were going to be doing some roaming patrols. Um, we had heard word that there were potential other threats that were out in the DC region. And so we didn't know what was really going on. But later in that afternoon, in the early afternoon, it became um, apparent that we were actually going to go on site and assist federal authorities um, in any way, shape or form that we possibly could. Um, and we didn't at the time know exactly what that meant. Um, but as we were there and as time progressed, um, that started to change. So we were on site that day. Um, I, you know, we kind of found the, the building, I guess you could say, in a condition similar to this. Um, you know, the collapse had already occurred. Um, people, first responders, you know, had been there doing their thing, trying to find survivors. And that was our first mission, really, to get on site um, and to help wherever we could and to find the survivors. And uh, go back to that slide. I have a question for you real quick. Sure. This collapse you referred to, uh, for those that don't know, is the the, the partial collapse uh, there with the diagonal uh, building facade that happened uh, a, a time after 
the original event. And um, uh, do you know how long that was by, by any chance? I, I, I don't recall an hour. The original or, event, say that again. The original event uh, and then the collapse, the time between the two. That I'm not sure of, and I should know that. I'm actually going to make a note of that. Thank you for, uh, for we'll, asking. We'll learn uh, more about <laughs> these sure. important details. Yeah, I'll be the first one to say, you guys, my, my journey uh, in, in this, you know, in my efforts is still ongoing. I try to do my best to talk about um, my experience and to be as transparent and as just in as, as informative as I possibly can. But I'm still learning. I'm still doing quite a bit of research myself. So I, I make no bones about that. So, okay. Uh, but so moving right along at this point, I always like to just kind of remind people uh, the mainstream, you know, narrative that um, this, you know, right in front of us was the, the pathway that was taken. Um, obviously they say that um, some lamp poles were clipped, that the generator was clipped and that the Pentagon entered into this type of angle into the building of the, the plane, E ring. The plane, yes, you can go back. Plane. Uh, if, for those of you who can't see the path of the plane entering uh, the, the the building, that's what's shown a little subtly there. Absolutely. Um, kind of a more um, in-depth detail about the, the potential damage the mainstream narrative said that the damage from the plane um, that came from there. Again, a lot of the pictures that I use, you guys, can be found online. Um, I have a vault that I'm kind of collecting all of my information. Um, so that's where I keep most of my stuff. But a lot of these, like I said, can be found. Well, before you go on, uh, there, there, there's some important data here. Sure. Um, tell us what we're looking at. Exactly. So, again, this is the angle that the plane said um, said to have entered the building. Um, you can kind of see that somebody had taken the um, the measurements to kind of show just how big, you know, to scale that this would actually be. Um, and it they go into actual detail talking about the the damage to the different rings. Um, and, and I'll be the first one to admit, you know, this is where I, I rely heavily on my friends that have experience in construction and architecture and things like that. You know, I look at a building, you know, I, I see damage um, and I can, you know, talk to other extents when it comes to my experience, the Pentagon from a parts perspective. But I don't know, not to, to ping pong back to you, Richard, but you know, as an architect, what would you say really um, well, stand out? With, with your mouse, because no one can see my mouse, uh, sure. point out the first ring uh, that we'll be looking at later, uh, which is the uh, E ring, um, real slow. Um, and so that first uh, set of four columns deep is the E ring. And then there is a courtyard between rings up above uh, because we're in a level where all of the inside spaces are connected, which is why you don't see the rings more clearly in this view. And then point out the D-ring, if you will. D-ring is down in this area. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then the next courtyard um, uh, up above the second level. And then after that, the C-ring, uh, which is the inside ring. And then there's a big courtyard inside of that. Right. So um, th this this is the, the plane is said to have gone into the Pentagon uh, uh, at the first and second levels, uh, which is where all the rings are connected, if you will, into one building, uh, almost like a basement. Uh, 
but of course it's above ground. And so anyway, I wanted to point that out. And this key down below shows all five rings as well uh, in the Pentagon shape uh, with uh, isolated, well, uh, wedges that have expansion joints uh, between them uh, for seismic uh, design uh, purposes. So the structure can flex across this massive building. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out, Adam. Absolutely. And thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, and again, you know, this kind of what you already talked about, the, the path through the three rings, um, ultimately pointing to the exit hole, which we will get to pictures of that as well. I don't know if you wanted to add anything else. I'm happy to keep going. No, that works. And this is actually another picture that was used in a trial to describe um, the, the different bodies, like the location of the bodies that were found uh, both on the plane, allegedly in the Pentagon, um, and all the damage that kind of exists as well. Well, this is incredible. What are so so the the diagonal lines here are the path of the plane between these body locations. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so, so the entry point uh, up above um, is where many bodies are found, including apparently a whole bunch of them outside the E-ring. Yep, I right have not there. seen this diagram myself. Yep. And then right some are all the way, uh, excuse me, I, I think I read this backwards. Yep, all the um, way more through the, yep, through the, through the inner rings. Sorry, that's the exit hole we're looking at with body yep. parts out there. This My is the fault. exit hole. This is the entrance. I, I, I was thinking the, the, the plane comes in from the lower right and proceeds up uh, to the upper left. So there's bodies um, uh, all through, from from outside of E-ring to outside of, of C-ring on the top. Okay. Absolutely. Gotcha. So going right along. So this is where my perspective gets a little different than most. And if there's anybody out there that can say this, I would love to talk with them. I would love to share my, my story and, and kind of get their thoughts. But um, I've been saying, like I said, the, the types of things I've been saying for quite some time, um, you know, I, I jokingly, you know, call it the fluoride stare. But anytime I had ever really said anything, you know, I got that look like I was crazy um, kind of coming back to me. And, and so that's why a lot of people have asked me, you know, with all these experiences that you've had with everything, you know, time spent at UPS, why didn't you ever come forward? It was tough, even with my experience um, to be heard. But uh, my perspective is a little bit different. Not only did I spend uh, 240 hours on site, um, but with UPS, um, I worked with Pratt & Whitney um, in their engine um, parts storage facility. Um, I was a kind of a mid-level senior supervisor there uh, for the second shift. Ultimately, we had about 115 people on the shift, and I was the second person as far as the operational authority and responsibility um, in line was concerned. So in the absence of my manager, I had operational authority and responsibility for everything. But So I have working experience with airplane engine parts. Um, not only that, um, through Lufthansa, I actually also... Um, gained um, through TSA and Lufthansa, um, the ability to screen cargo, incoming and outgoing cargo. There were only three people in the building that could do that. 
What um, kind of cargo? And any type of engine part that was going to be stored in that facility. And, and this isn't confirmed, but the last I heard, that's a $2.3 billion facility. So it was quite extensive. Um, they have quite a bit of parts, and that's up in Londonderry, New Hampshire. Um, but for me, um, that was kind of the moment in time back in 2018 where every single day I had to walk past a mock-up, just like the one you're looking at, of a Pratt & Whitney um, engine. Now, people are saying, well, Pratt & Whitney, what's the big deal about that? Well, they're one of two companies that um, outfit the Boeing 757 for engines, um, the other one being Rolls-Royce. Um, so they, the building, excuse me, the plane that allegedly hit the building uh, was was holding an, a Rolls-Royce engine on it. Uh, but I, I kind of just say, you know, I, I'm familiar with airline parts. I, I shipped them. Um, I, I, in the, I wasn't on the actual inspection team, but I had the authority to inspect parts in the event that it was ever needed. Um, I, I had management authority. So I, I could look at, you know, any part that was going out of the building prior to it going to its fabrication center. Um, it has to have eyes on it. You know, the, the FAA is very um, stringent about airline parts, obviously. Um, so, you know, we can all debate and get into discussions about my level of expertise when it comes to engines. You know, will I ever build an engine? No, but did I have the operational authority to inspect these things and make decisions regarding whether a part was going to go on uh, to the next place to be fabricated? Yes. Um, and these were parts as small as a pinky to parts as big as a, a vehicle. And so, I just wanted to highlight that my experience um, overlaying my time as a first responder with that is a little bit different. I think it comes with kind of a, a little bit of a different feather in the cap. So. Well, and, and the UPS itself, I, I thought they just moved packages. Well, a lot of people think that, and, and they do. They do that very well, but there are other streams of income that they have, and supply chain is one of those. And they typically will go and uh, establish a partnership with a company like this where they will oversee the handling of the storage, the packaging. Um, another thing that has, you know, when you're when you're packaging airplane parts, you just don't put them in boxes. They have to go into very, very specific engine kits that are, are designed to take a beating, designed to keep those parts uh, safe and intact uh, no matter what. Um, so it's, it's a very lengthy process, especially when you're getting um, documented to an authority to, to, in, to get into incoming and outgoing cargo. So, um, you know, debate that, you know, what level of expert, you know, expertise do I have? But I try to be as transparent as I possibly can in that regard. Let's say if anybody could recognize an engine part in, a, in the Pentagon, uh, you would probably be right up there with the best of them to be able to do it. Is that true? Pratt and Whitney sure, sure thought so. Um, you know, there was many times when I was the, the person in charge of their facility um, and, and second shift. You know, we did most of the work. Uh, we did a lot of what was going on there. Um, of course, the first shift wouldn't want me to, you know, to say that, to eat that pill, but I don't work there anymore, so I can talk a little smack. But yeah, I would like to think that I, I overlaying those experiences of, of working at UPS and extensive time on site, um, I'd like to say that I could make pretty definitive statements about what I did and didn't see, especially when it comes to airplane parts. Okay. Good. So kind of going... Just to kind of give you an example, um, you know, I lean heavily on my my experience. And so we all have seen the pictures. A lot of us at least have seen the major pictures that are um, up and on a lot of the websites. And we'll get to some of those shortly. But 
Um, I, a lot of people just don't understand just how big these engines are. Um, this is actually a, a Rolls-Royce RB211 engine uh, that would be outfitted for a Boeing 757. You know, just to kind of give you guys an example of how big these things are. Um, you know, we've all, like I said, seen the pictures and, you know, a lot of people say, well, that the hole, you know, in that building, the Pentagon, that, that you know, could logically explain a fuselage. But one of the things I've always been extremely interested in is, you know, where is the proof of where these gigantic, uh, very heavy, very large pieces of uh, equipment, you know, where did it hit the Pentagon itself? Because, you know, these things are very dense. Um, and as you're going to see here pretty soon, you know, on the far right hand side, these things have a dry weight alone of 8,169 pounds. So to give you a little bit of perspective, you know, according to mechanicbase.com, the average car in and of itself, a small car, so a, a Nissan um, to a midsize car weighs anywhere from 2,600 to 3,500 pounds. You know, this engine dry weighs about 8,000. And so they're, they're very big, they're very large pieces of equipment. Um, and so that's the one thing that I always kind of look for when I look at any Pentagon information. Um, and that's a whole other topic of discussion in and of itself. This is actually a Pratt & Whitney engine in front of us. I believe this is the PW2000. But uh, I just wanted to put some engine pictures on here just to highlight how big these are. Um, you know, that handsome devil right there. I mean, he's probably around six foot tall, you know, so um, they're very large. And, uh, you know, for all my fellow conspiracy theorists out there, um, I do have in my vault um, testimonies, evidence from fellow co-workers that uh, will show that I did work at that facility. But I like to go back to this just to kind of show my personality. This is 2018 back in the facility. This is my Instagram account. You can see me looking like a jerk without a beard. Uh, UPS, we, we had to shave. That was kind of a management thing. You can see the Pratt & Whitney stuff here in the background. But uh, this was right before I uh, got my boss. Uh, we, we taped a bunch of ketchup packets to his desk. So that's what happens when uh, he went out of town. But I say that jokingly. But anyways, back to the Pentagon. I like to talk about that experience because I do think it is um, essential and relevant. But can you go back so, to that one picture? Sure. Um, uh, um, where, where were you guys when you were outside the building here? So when we were outside of the building, you guys can see these tents. Um, we were typically in one of these tents um, that use changed. Your, use your mouse, if you will. So, so kind of in, in these tents right in here, that that changed. Um, you know, it just depended on wherever we were needed. Um, a lot of times when we got there by platoon, uh, we would kind of break off into different areas. We at first would stay in a holding area, and then we would come down on orders. Our, our higher-ups would find out where we were needed the most, and then we would disperse. But when we were not in sight, we were typically out here in, in one of these tents. Okay. So let's see. So when we first went on site, you know, one of the things that I noticed um, was that it was, there was tons of water and I'm talking, it was deep. Um, so, you know, the firefighters had been spraying this um, down pretty considerably. I mean, I would go so far as to say as some of the places I was walking inside of the building had uh, water that was at least, you know, covering my entire foot. You know, there was a reason why we went in with um, with biohazardous suits, with biohazardous masks on. And I'll also be the first person to say it. Um, you know, one of the first things I thought that, you know, when I went on site was just kind of surprise 
um, at how little of damage was done. I don't think the pictures obviously ever do um, really any justice, but um, just um, the, the, the actual damage itself was not that extensive. Um, some of the things that also stood out to me, um, a lot of people asked me about, you know, what did I smell? Uh, did I smell jet fuel? And the answer is no. Um, there are three things that stood out more than anything. Um, first and foremost, and the best way to describe it is um, electrical, like burning. Like if you're if you're sitting in your house and all of a sudden you're you kind of get that smell that things are are potentially burning, that it's an electrical source. Um, it was very high in that. Um, it had a very like standing water, kind of a nasty, kind of gross um, standing water kind of smell that was really kind of combined with that. And then last but not least, um, you know, human remains leave a very distinct smell as well. And that was kind of combined in there with that as well. But we were wearing the protective masks. But, you know, even prior to us going inside of the building, you could smell those things um, very clearly. Oh. So kind of, you know, they... The water was pretty significant, so they were they were really you know trying to spray that down as much as they possibly could. Um, and I'll never forget the first thing that we did was kind of look for survivors in the rubble in this area. And so um, I believe it was the Army Corps of Engineers that same exact day determined that there were no survivors. And so we were pulling rubble out of there, and eventually we did get to a point where kind of all of that damage was gone. And we eventually started to get inside the building. Is, and, is that what you guys wore uh, there? Is that could that have been you? That could have been me. Um, in fact, that is exactly what we wore. Um, and I've got a, a few additional pictures to kind of show that. But um, you know, this what you're seeing is kind of how everything looked on the inside. It it burned, you know, to the the core of the buildings in some spots, like these file cabinets, I believe, right here to the left. Um, you know, they were unfazed. Um, they don't but, look you know, unfazed. I mean, yeah, well, you know what I'm saying? They, 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 were, they were not totally destroyed. But okay. as you're going to see, you know, unfazed is actually a word that you can use for some of the different pictures I'm going to show you, which always kind of stood out to me as being a little strange. But, um, you know, more pictures of people like myself, um, you know, on site um, wearing the suits. Um, you know, there was a lot of different members of a lot of different agencies there, um, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, uh, local fire departments. Um, I think there was a, a lot of different government um, agents that weren't wearing any types of accreditations, but there was just a lot of different people around on site. Um, you know, kind of getting further into the, the, the Pentagon itself, you know, this picture, I'm assuming just based on the look of it, is further into the rings. Um, as you can see here, the types of debris that we were finding, um, you know, I, I, I know plane parts. I'm familiar with them. I've stored them. I've shipped them. I've inspected them. Um, but, but what you're looking at is, is really the types of uh, things that we were finding. You know, I just think that if, if, if a very large commercial airline, you know, or air, uh, airplane were to fly into, um, you know, a building, I would have seen a heck of a lot more, but, you know, this is the type of scene that it was really, um, you know, I mean, who knows how, how do you replicate uh, a plane hitting the Pentagon without, you know, actually sending a plane into the Pentagon? So a lot of people out there have always said, well, you know, 
if you know there's a lot of different pictures and theories that exist as far as you know plane destruction i don't even want to go there but i'm just here to say that you know these are the types of images that you're seeing and and if you look to the right of this picture right here you can tell that you know this is really where the entry hole was and so this right here is as richard was kind enough to to share with me i was calling it something else uh, this wood shoring was established you know, and we'll see in some other pictures to to provide additional um, support to the structure. Um, so where you're yeah, looking because, at, and, because if if the columns were damaged, and you can see uh, through along underneath these beams along the top, uh, running toward and away and away from us, uh, there's a couple uh, or three columns that you can see, and you can the other ones are missing. I mean, they're just clearly broken, broken off. You can point your mouse to to the uh, through the reinforcing to the left, uh, left, left, right there, up, yep. up, right that 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 uh, is was a column uh, where the reinforcing is coming out of the beam up up above, so it was completely destroyed. Now, what I what I like to point out is that if a plane came from the right to the left, it seems. Um, conceivable to me that those columns would take a beating in the direction that it looks like uh, actually happened. And, and uh, they're, they're, in other words, they're bowed to the left. So um, I just wanted to, to point that out as a possibility. Uh, if explosions can do that, that would mean the explosives would be on the right side. Um, but it looks like that's where the windows are. So I don't know um, what quite to make of this. Um, and, and, well, Adam, and I've got, I'm, I'm sorry, I've got extensive time on site. And even even for the longest time, I didn't know what to make of it. Um, it, it truly made very little sense. Okay. And um, the other question I had is, um, if that was a path of the plane, the, uh, did, did you follow it to where it, uh, was said to have gone out, uh, i.e. the exit hole. And did you see the exit hole? So been on the path, um, did not ever go down right into the exit hole. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I will say if a plane hit that building and went that far into the building, it would leave a path. And, and I spent 240 hours on site, point blank, um, want to tell you, um, never saw anything that remotely even looked like a damage path. What you're looking at right now, and we're going to show some more pictures, is really it. I mean, I, I would love to have had a camera, um, and and there were people in my unit. Unfortunately, I can't make, name names because people coming out is a decision that they have to make for themselves. Uh, believe me, I'm 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 working on it. Uh, but but people said the same thing. You know, where was this damage path? So you mean uh, to the left? You didn't see a tunnel created uh, by something like a plane that led to an exit hole at all? No. No. What What did you see over there? Uh, you know, and I'll show you a picture, but it's it's uh, yeah. I mean, what what you're seeing right here is is pretty much kind of the the details. I mean, every single spot where the plane allegedly went right down into the building. You know, this right here is showing. I mean, if if the plane hit, it would have came at an angle just like this. You know, here we are. Why are there no scrapes up on the ceilings? You know, 
where where is any of it um you know it we there was just a lot of damage you know it was very obvious that um you know fires had been breaking out they had been kind of going through throughout the 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 ring but you know this what you're seeing is is pretty much the extent of the types of damage we saw um well other other than the go back a couple of stories uh, pictures one more back there and well, obviously uh that is an area that uh looks to me like uh 60 or 70 feet wide and and maybe um a hundred feet long at the most. Are you saying this is the the biggest open area in in, in the Pentagon that that you saw? I, I would have to say that yes. I mean, this was apparently the point of impact. Uh, so, in my opinion, you know, this is where everything would be the the most apparent. This would be the eye of the storm, um, and and here we are. And this so. is where you spent most of your time. We spend most of our time in the E ring. Okay, and and was anybody else um, examining the other rings? Uh, you had a hundred people in your company, right? Over a hundred, yeah. Anywhere, most infantry companies between the the four platoon have one hundred and twenty to one hundred and thirty, forty people. So, yeah, you know, I can't speak to where everybody else went. Um, we we did more than just look for survivors, look for body parts, you know, help people uh, bring any types of debris out of the building. Um, some people had been also put on um, security detail to help guard the perimeter. Um, one person even mentioned in, that they had uh, gone on a security detail to uh, get some some top secret documents and they never found anything. They really didn't have any more to add besides that. But yeah, I mean, we we. Spent 240 hours on site there. We all went in, you know, individually as groups, in small groups. It just was, it was as a needed basis. And, um, you know, it, it was since day one, kind of one of those things where it was just kind of strange. Didn't make a lot of sense. Okay. You mentioned body parts, uh, Adam. Uh, how, how many body parts and, uh, and, and were there any full bodies and how many of those did you personally see there were full bodies there were also some body parts that looked at it as if they had been mangled um the the scene that sticks out the most to me that i'll never forget it's etched into my brain uh, we came across a conference room where a meeting had been going on and you could see and i'll point out to you guys if you want kind of this area where the conference room was um, there were four people sitting in this conference room kind of area at the, you know, two were at the head and one, one head was here, one head was here. And there were two people sitting here. Well, the guy that was at the head of the table that was furthest away from the impact area was kind of half melted to his chair is, you know, half of his face had been burned. The other part of his face was, well, you know, still intact. He was in his chair. You could tell he had this horrific kind of look on his face. And the thing that always stood out the most to me is that he looked a little bit like my father. Um, that bothered me for quite some time. I didn't realize how bad it bothered me. But coming along the table, the other people had not, um, it didn't look like they had been exposed to the same thing. So two of the people that were in the, the side chairs, one of them was basically down under the table and it was kind of hunched over, no signs whatsoever of any, you know, fire damage. The other person was was kind of hunched over in their chair 
again, no signs of fire damage. And then at the other side of the table, that person had basically gotten under the, the, the table and was down there on the ground. Um, but, you know, in my time there, um, any bodies that we found, and I, I want to make it very clear, um, did not in any way, shape or form look like they were on a plane. Um, any bodies that were found there looked like they were people that were working in that office facility. Um, and, and, and that came in many different forms. You know, there were some people that talked about finding um, parts, you know, legs, arms, uh, different pieces. I myself saw a torso one time uh, and, and I'll never forget as well. There was one day, it was about three to four days in when we really started to get into the building where our sergeant major came up to us and, and gave us a briefing when we first got there and just said, guys, Nobody has to go in if they don't want to. Nobody will, nobody will tease you. You know, nobody will say anything. You don't have to go in if you don't want to. Um, so, yeah, we, we got to a point where, we, you know, we started to find more and more bodies. We were working around them more often uh, just because we didn't have, you know, the, the manpower on site to, to quickly do what we did. So, you know, what I did most of the time was basically sit through the rubble. We were pulling, you know, what we could out. Uh, but if we came across something that even looked remotely like a body part, we would stop. Uh, we would get the forensics people, um, let somebody know. They would come over, do you know whatever it is that they could do. Um, so I couldn't name names of individuals, um, but I can tell you that for you know almost the first two weeks, um, really we we were finding bodies and seeing bodies and working within the proximity of bodies every single day. None of which looked like they were on airplanes. So any children? Uh, no children. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you distinguish between a body part that was a, a Pentagon employee and a body, well, a body that was uh, in, in the plane. Um, uh, did, I mean, I don't know that you would be able to or, appropriately determine that by what they were wearing. Um, uh, were most of the people wearing uniforms, for instance? Well, and when I said these, I, I meant like, you know, when we found bodies, it didn't look like they had been, um, you know, really, truly like, you know, hit a wall, mangled at, you know, 400, 500 plus miles per hour. Um, it, they were they were all kind of, you know, in these buildings, some of which were in in rooms that still had form. They had just, you know, maybe burned to the the core of the iron core of the building into the uh, the foundation, but yeah, never never any anything that looked like you know uniforms. Um, never you know never saw any any luggage, um, any any personal effects or anything like that that one might carry um, on a uh, on a flight. Uh, never oh, saw any of it. Things like that. Nothing. So how about how about seats from from an airplane? Seats from an airplane. So, you know, I, I never personally with my eyes saw anything. Uh, but, you know, I, I give credit where credit is due. There is one person um, that claims that he saw. This is a guy that I know claims that he saw a seat. Um, and I asked him, you know, what did it look like? He said, well, it just looked like it was a uh, an airplane seat. In which I kind of said, you know, a lot of guys in my unit, you know, came to me when I first started to uh, you know, really talk. And they said, you know, this is what I saw. Uh, and that one guy said that, and, you know, I just kind of asked him, you know, where are the rest of the seats? There's there's a lot of different, you know, seats on an airplane. Um, but, yeah, he, a lot of people kind of fall into the one of three camps. Either 
they, they say, you know, they don't remember it. They've kind of compartmentalized it. Um, you know, they, they say that they don't remember seeing anything. Um, and then, like I said, the, the, the third camp is the guy that I talked about that said that he saw, um, you know, a chair. Um, so, but the, during that month that you were there for 20 days, um, you must have been talking to each other and because uh, saying, does, I mean, does this look like an airplane crash to you? I mean, was there any kind of yeah. chatter like that? There, there was. And, you know, I, I kind of mentioned when we were talking prior to this, uh, you know, it, a few people made some small comments like, wow, you know, this isn't what it seems. Uh, but the, the thought that the United States government could ever do something like this um, never at that point in time really crossed our minds. Uh, you know, everybody was just kind of still in shock. Um, you know, my thoughts on, on that changing really started to progress, you know, as, as I watched things happen, um, you know, and, and that's a whole other topic of discussion. But, you know, it's 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 really it, it was hard to 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 come to the conclusion, you know, that that I did. But the airplane parts experience really helped it. But, yeah, you know, it's 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 just one of those things where I, I always felt that this thing didn't really happen the way it, the mainstream, you know, media says it did the way the world thinks it did. But I just never really thought I was in a position to to do anything about it um, now that the world is kind of experiencing what it is. Um, and, and that's a whole other topic of discussion in and of itself. Um, you know, I, I point to events like this and I, 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 I scream foul play just because, you know, I, I can't forget what I did not see while I was on site for that extended amount of time. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm holding you up. You can roll forward if you, you want. Yeah. So kind of just going through more of the pictures here, uh, you know, I, I always ask myself, you know, if, if the, the actual mainstream media says that, you know, a, a plane went screaming through the E-ring all the way through, you know, I just, I look at pictures like this and I ask myself, you know, where are the plane parts? Um, example like this as well, you know, just you, you can see where the fires kind of broke out and kind of traveled along the, uh, the edges of the roof line and how you can kind of tell the fires kind of broke out and were kind of going down in here. Um, you know, where was the plane parts? Well, a lot of people don't know. If you look right here, you can see a bunch of people in little white biohazardous suits. Well, that's because a lot of these people, I'm assuming, were bringing debris out in this oh, pile. Aren't you one of them? Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Oh, okay. Um, well, I, I can't say that I was one of them, actually. But yes, I, I, that's pretty much what I was doing. But again, everything goes back to, um, you know, if, if this is the debris inside, including potential plane parts, how could, you know, such an enormous... Um, plane be reduced to this right here. And so that was our debris pile. We were bringing things out. We put them right there. And that pile was then taken to a different location, which Alpha Company also helped secure. Um, and, and then who knows where the parts went after that? That's another question I would love to find. Okay. Could you point out uh, while we're here, the, 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 the different rings? Yeah. E-rings right here. D, C, and the pump, the exit hole should be on this wall right on here. So they said the plane traveled through here, 
through here, through here, and we're going to get to the exit hole in a second, and then left and exit hole in this ring right here. Okay. Another topographical photo. Yeah, show that same uh, explanation again in this photo. So the plane came from this angle, entered in, cut right through here, through this ring. This is the D ring, through the C ring, and then put an exit hole. And that, and I believe it's, is it right in there? You can kind of tell with the- Yeah, uh, the, black, the black part looks like it uh, is oh. above the exit hole. So, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things, um, you know, more damage, you know, if, if, if the initial plane hitting the building could, you know, break out such a fire, how could it not do the same in other parts? You know, um, you know, why were there no, you know, other further damage? You can see in pictures, you know, fires breaking out inside the building, you know, way down in here. Why wasn't the same going on around here? You know, why, why we, it just didn't make any sense. Why, why did we not spend more time deployed in other areas? You know, when well, we were where, what, in this view, what is the extent of your deployment? Of your um, so right in here, this is just me individually. Again, I have to speak to for me alone because um, I can't speak for everybody else. But at the furthest, you know, both of the rings to that degree, you know, um, if the plane were to come and and actually go all the way through three rings, you know, and if my company, two other companies, or excuse me, two companies are on site, you know, there to help federal authorities remove damage, remove bodies, remove debris. Why didn't we ever get closer to the exit hole? Um, well, you would have seen it, I imagine. Precisely. Um, so yeah. for those who don't know, uh, point out the the uh, the roof of the plane path, above the plane path. The plane went underneath the second floor yeah, and like, underneath like, the first floor. And, and, and so you don't see the path of the plane uh, above that courtyard plaza, if you will. Because yeah. uh, the, the plane went underneath it if the plane was there. Uh, what we see above the courtyard plaza is three stories in the E-ring and the D-ring. And then if you look, uh, point out the, uh, the windows on the C-ring, you see all five stories. So that's that explains the the architectural layout here. Yeah. And and I also I always point to um this is kind of a, another picture but I always point to the um to the actual exit hole and kind of you, there's some great pictures I'm going to show here in a second that kind of show the inside and we can kind of get to those in a second I don't want to skip ahead but just more kind of pictures of of what it looked like on the inside you know a lot of like, for example, you know, uh, you know, fire damage, clearly, you know, stuff hanging from the ceiling, clearly. But then, you know, other things, you know, filing cabinets, desks that didn't really get um, touched as much. Um, it was just a very, um, very different kind of scene, to say the least. Um, we never went up, you know, just I, I like to show this picture. You can see from the background that this picture is higher up. Uh, we never went up into, excuse me, the uh, the higher up floors. Um, but I just kind of show this to highlight again, um, some of the pictures and, you know, just kind of the scene as well. Um, things burning through here. And, and I don't think that a lot of these, 
um, offices were occupied. Obviously, they I think had just finished renovating the building and they were still doing some things. I'm not exactly sure. I'm still digging into some of that, but uh, you know, not a lot of people there. Um, but just obviously damaged in some ways. But you know, I just I look at pictures like this and I ask myself, you know, why wasn't uh, there more damage? Um, you know, if a, if a plane truly hit uh, that area going as fast as it did, um, you know, what on earth is this? You know, a lot of the the people that claim, you know, that that are out there that say that you know the the plane damage was there, and they they point to pictures like this. Okay, you know. I, I I don't know how the things that I became very familiar with, even under you know fire and stressful conditions like that, slamming into a building like that, still couldn't produce some additional evidence um, in in places like this. And, you know this right here again, the plane would have came exactly like this from right to left. Yes. You know, this is the uh, the wood shoring that we were talking about before that was holding up that that piece of the of the E ring. Um, so, more just kind of detail. You can see where the fires kind of just burned through everything. Um, and again, the the I'll never forget when we came on site and when we really started to go into that building. Uh, somebody in the the group that I was with when we were getting our first kind of briefing looked over at the at the wood shoring and was like is that safe? And, um, there was an engineer there and, um, you know, he looked at us and basically said, well, have you, have you guys filled out your wills? He joked, he was joking around with us and he said, yeah, it's safe. You guys aren't going to get crushed. But, you know, he jokingly tried to make light of a situation. And I was like, you know, don't joke about these types of things. I don't want to get you know crushed by a building. Um, well, uh, go back. Uh, th that shoring is there because those columns are gone. Yeah. And uh the question is uh the, the the collapse is to the right here yep and it would come the plane would come just like that well maybe <clears throat> maybe the wing took out the uh the columns on the left side of that collapse uh we'll learn more on saturday march 19th uh when we have um three people have spent the last 10 years investigating uh, th this mishap. Uh, but um, uh, if, if, if it wasn't a plane, that would mean it would be explosions, I imagine, or a missile, Something. Uh, as some claim. Uh, and, <clears throat> and that would put the column, that would blow the column out uh, yeah. of the building. And so well, I'm I'll wondering say if the column was found out of the building. Yeah, I, I'm by no means a ballistics expert. Um, I will tell you, though, I don't think it was a missile. Um, you know, and I, we don't have to get into, you know, the what I think it is at this point. But, you know, that's one thing that I can I can definitively say that I just I don't think, you know, also that a missile hit the building. So okay. for what it's worth. And, and we can it looks like we can see one of the columns uh, to the right of the shoring, which is on the left. Can you point to it? It's right where your mouse is now. Yeah, right. the, the concrete to the right of that goes slow, slow to the left, right there, and then all the way up. That is, uh, looks to me like a very badly damaged column. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll learn more later about the column. For sure. 
But moving right along, you know, pictures like this kind of illustrate to me once we started to get the damage out, uh, you know, just how small that area was. Uh, you could see that they had removed all that rubble at this point. Um, they were probably holding some type of a ceremony. I'm not sure exactly what was going on here. They're holding the flags, but um, just a picture to kind of highlight just how small the, the damage was. Um, and this is another picture that I love to show. This is pretty much the angle that the plane hit the building at just like this. Um, so I, I just always have had a very difficult time um, believing that, you know, a plane as big as um, a Boeing 757, you know, didn't do more damage than this. And obviously we had been on site for quite some time at this point. You can tell the shoring, you can tell all these things, but just, uh, you know. Just to get oriented here, uh, this looks like the area that collapsed and the collapse has now been removed. Um, the collapse uh, debris has been removed. So this is a, 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 a section uh, cut out of the building, if you will. Yep, exactly. Another picture, this is a big one. Uh, so a lot of people claim that this right here is an engine part. Um, again, I am not experienced with Rolls-Royce engine parts, but what I will tell you is that this does look like that, that pile that I was showing you guys and that door that, you know, you can go in and out of the building. It was right here, that entranceway. So this was kind of the pile, I guess you could say, of, of debris um, that we were pulling out of there. So again, I would love to, um, if these parts are even still in existence, look at them, inspect them. Um, but, you know, I, I have a difficult time believing that something that is, you know, ex extremely much, you know, a lot larger than a, a, a than a full size vehicle, you know, 8,000 pounds was reduced to uh, just a little bit, you know, and, and not only that, it, this piece looks like it wasn't even, you know, obviously it looks like it might have been exposed to some fire. It looks blackened. It looks messed up. But I just feel like, you know, these parts would have been mangled a heck of a lot more. Um, didn't see any like anything like this. Well, we're so, still missing the entire uh fuselage. Well, the the engine, uh, the, the, the engine the, too, there's yeah. two of them. They're 8,000 pounds each and you didn't see any plane parts in there much less an engine, right? No. I no. mean the engine would have created a path, uh, quite a path, I would imagine. Well, not only that, the the expert, the um the man on site, Lee Wheelbarger, he has more time on site than anybody. He's mentioned in the 9-11 Commission report. Very, very prideful and very um, much opinionated on him being the subject matter expert. Has an opinion on where the engines hit. Um, and I can tell you, um, I'm not going to go down that route, but I, I will tell you that uh, I disagree with his assertion. And I believe I have the evidence to prove it. Well, if the engine, cre if anything was going to create the exit hole, you would imagine that it would be one or both engines, uh, uh, which are going 500 miles an hour. Uh, they're not going to be stopping at a gypsum board wall. So uh, where did they go? Well, they would, they would be the first thing you would imagine that people would be finding and photographing for the world to see. Well, I know where he says they hit. Um, he also said point blank that he pulled them um, out of the, the wreckage. I would love to ask him that on record one day. 8,000 pounds. Mm -hmm. Well, he is quite a character. 
we'll learn more about him some other time, I guess. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, but just more damages. I don't try to go too, too uh, into the much. Oh, here we go. This is what I was trying to get into going to this. So this is the infamous um, exit hole uh, that was in the inside of the ring where the, uh, you know, you can look straight down that hole. And again, you know, I just say if if a commercial jet, I mean, excuse me, a, a commercial airplane, you know, entered that building and went down below into that area where all these things were happening. Um, you know, why wasn't there more damage? You just, you so know, this, you, is again, where it came, this is where it came out. Yeah. Again, and some people, you know, could argue that they could say that these are parts, you know, I, I could, I could see people making that argument. Um, but you know, who has the experience with the airline parts? I would love to speak with them. I mean, by all means, let's, let's learn together. Let's figure it out. But you know, this hole has raised a lot of suspicion. Um, you know, why is there no, um, you know, no fuselage nose, you know, where's the front, where was the impact? How, how did, you know, this hole get so perfectly severed out and then nothing else, you know, really spills into outside of this, this, this light damage and whatever this stuff is. I mean, some people have even made a, a remark that like this right here could have been a wheel. Well, well, you know, how do you know that, you know, it's, and still, where where's the rest of the plane? You know, it's 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 all very um, very suspicious. But to say it clearly, as I've said before, um, I did not in all of my 240 hours on site, I did not see any plane parts. And I consider myself a credible source because I had working experience with plane parts. Uh, nor did I see anybody that looked like they were on a plane um, and had died from a plane impact. I never smelled gasoline, um, and and I'm willing to testify in front of the world to that. And so, you know, I just um, one of my only regrets is that I, I didn't come out sooner. But um, you know, I tried talking to people about it before, and um, people just couldn't wrap their heads around it. And, and to be quite honest with you, I couldn't either until I got to a point where um, I was um, experienced with these parts. So. Gotcha. Wow. Yep. Well, that's um, pretty impressive testimony, uh, Adam. I'm, I'm uh, kind of blown away. Um, Thank you. Uh, I I do know that I see I see a bunch of questions. Uh, do you have uh, enough left to answer some questions? I'm here all night. <laughs> okay, and Gail's here apparently too. Hello, Gail. Yes. Hello, hello, guys. You yes, we have, have a lot some... of questions. Lots oh. of questions. Yes, and right. I'm, st well, I'm still collecting them. So, oh my gosh, let's roll <laughs> we'll with start. them. Okay, all right. This first question is from Ray. He's on YouTube. He says a diagram shows where body fragments were found inside the Pentagon. Plane and body debris were scattered all over the lawn. Do you know where human remains were found in front of the Pentagon? To my knowledge, I did not know that there was any remains found in front of the Pentagon, never saw um, remains in front of the Pentagon. Um, really anything that when it comes to parts and when it comes to bodies, I always say, if, especially in those mainstream media pictures, you can tell that they're trying to show that these parts belong to an American Airlines plane. Um, you know, they're very particular about the logos and everything, but uh, a lot of those parts don't have any um, damage 
uh, fire damage signs. They're they're obviously distressed. You know, they they've been bent up and mangled a little bit, but no, um, never saw any bodies either. So, okay. This next question is from Didymus. Didymus. I'm assuming that's an anonymous name on YouTube. Why wouldn't the gentleman be sworn to secrecy for this operation within the Pentagon? Surely a big national security concern for the conspirators. Well, I was, and I, and I was going to kind of get to a couple of the other things, um, closing out my presentation that I, that I discussed. And one of those things is a, a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, we were forced to sign those back before we went in. Um, forced, I say. Um, I would like to see a copy of that. Uh, you know, my medical records and my entire, I would say not entire, but almost my entire military record has gone missing. That's a whole other topic of discussion. But um, I've been trying to locate these things, um, including this non-disclosure agreement that I was forced to sign because, you know, this is a matter of national security. Um, and, and much like the, the documents that I've been looking at in my research, the court documents that are just filled with redactions, and of course, the FBI, who could make me out to be a liar at any point in time, who could release all the evidence, all the footage that they have, you know, I welcome it. You know, prove me wrong, show me an airplane, because I can then let it go. Um, but yeah, who knows? Um, I don't know why the secrecy. Are you saying that the non-disclosure agreement was was signed by you on September 11th? Uh, everybody in my company, they, they, they got people to sign them. Obviously I'm, I'm just going to be the first one to admit, um, at this point, I, I think too much is at stake. Um, I would not care one bit. Um, if anybody, you know, were to bring that up to me, um, you know, I would love to see it. I, I haven't been able to find it. Um, so I have a hard time believing that the government even still has it. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. The next question is from RM. He's on YouTube. Adam, did you see the exit hole of the object that penetrated the pentagon? And if so, what is your opinion as to what created it? The exit hole, um, I did not get close to it. Um, and as far as what created it, I couldn't begin to tell you. Um, I, I do have you know, some, some beliefs on what happened, and I'm going to probably get to those at a later date and time and talk about those. But, but yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Okay, and this is from David on YouTube. Was there an official explanation what caused the perfect hole in ring C? Yeah, they they I believe said it was it was just the plane impact, if I'm not mistaken. Um well, the, and, and I just not the impact point, but the exit point. Oh, the exit point? Oh no, that I mean the exit understand. hole is what I think he, the, the question. Oh, instead of the perfect hole. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that could have yeah, yeah, that probably was supposed to be exit hole. That's okay. I'm assuming. Okay, and then this is a question from Cray9 on YouTube. Has anyone heard the theory about the plane being a modified Grumman? I think that's Grumman A6. Does that sound familiar? I haven't heard that one. Grumman, Come on uh, March 19th and ask that question of our three uh decade-long uh, Pentagon researchers that'll be here at uh, on 9-11 Con. There you go. Start, by the way, a monthly conference. We're going to have all different kinds of aspects looking into the financial crimes. We're going to look into the, uh, the, 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 the deep state um, uh, fingerprints uh, over everything and other false flag operations and successive 
uh, third Saturdays of each month. So mark out the third Saturday of each month for the rest of the year until September 11th when we host our three-day conference. Okay. Right, making a note. <laughs> yeah, that is going to be so fun and exciting. I cannot wait. So looking forward to it, the conferences. All right, now this next question is from Didymus on YouTube. Have you all seen that documentary where they allege the big plane did a flyby over the Pentagon? They interview a lot of bystanders from that day who speak on the flight path. Um, I know a lot of people in the truth community um, have really got upset with that with that theory. I think it divided quite a few people. Um, I, I can't really speak all too much into that because I don't believe it to be true. Uh, the multiple plane theory, I just don't. Um, so I, I more or less focus my time on the actual crime scene itself. Gotcha. <clears throat> Good idea. This is from Ray on YouTube. Did you see plane debris to the east and to the south outside of the Pentagon? What plane part did you see farthest from the Pentagon? Are these are there pictures of plane debris that were never released? I would love to see them if there was. And to answer your question, I did not see any plane parts uh, within or outside the building. So. Yeah. Couldn't answer okay. it. Okay. And this is from David on YouTube. Did they recover both black boxes and how much value were they if they were recovered? So I know the government agencies say that they recovered the black boxes. And interestingly enough, uh, somebody in my unit actually claimed that they heard a mainstream media source say that my unit specifically uh, was, 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 the ones that assisted with that, which I was never able to verify that. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't think, you know, they say they recovered a black box. I think if that were the case, you know, the person that said what they said in my unit, we would have, you know, somebody, somebody would have been given recognition at a much more official level. But um, yeah, I never saw a black box. They say it was found. Okay. This question is from RM on YouTube and you, you pretty much, I think, answered this, but you might want to um, expound a little bit on it. He asked, have any of the bodies been confirmed as passengers? Did you hear mm. any no. reports no, we, that? No, that's another thing I've been trying to get to the bottom of, you know, following the the process of where those bodies were sent, um, how they were in processed. Um, just from my experiences alone, um, one of the other details that we did um, in Alpha Company was, we, uh, we went up to Dover and pulled um, bodies off the planes that had just been, you know, come in from, from Ramstein Air Force Base, people that had been killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so I'm very familiar with the process that goes through um, in processing bodies that have been through something traumatic like that. Um, have been trying to get to the bottom of where everything was sent after the Pentagon. Still haven't been able to do that yet. Okay. Uh, this is from David on YouTube. Was it suspicious that Rumsfeld was out helping the first responders? <laughs> There's a lot of suspicious things about Rummy, um, you know, that uh, that haven't made a lot of sense to me over the years. Um, I never got to see him personally. Um, I never saw him on site while I was there. Okay. This question but is from Craynat. It just has to be noted. I mean, you, you've got the Secretary of Defense uh, in a in a photo op, which more than anything else, out there doing things that anybody at any pay scale uh, 
a much lower pay scale. He should be, you know, managing this entire crisis, not out there running around doing photo ops. Anyway, that's just find, my personal opinion. Find the three trillion as well that went missing. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right. This next question is from Cray9 on YouTube. Does Adam remember seeing any wreckage that would be consistent with an A3 Sky Warrior fuel tanks or aerial refueling probe? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. And this is from Anthony on YouTube. Did you see any dignitaries or high-ranking officials on the scene? Um, any officials or dignitaries? Uh, no. The high, the highest-ranking person I ever saw was just the uh, the chief. Uh, the, or excuse me, the, the military district of Washington's commander, General Jackson. That was it. Um, but outside of that, no, no officials or anything like that. Okay. And General Jackson is seen with you in that picture, a photo of the flag being retired, right? That is correct. That photo was taken one month after the, uh, the Pentagon was attacked. attacked. Okay. All right. This next question is from Anthony also on YouTube. And he asks, what do you think about the supposed commercial plane allegedly having taken out several lampposts along the path? Um, I look at those lampposts. I've got quite a bit of those, a lot of those lampposts and pictures. Um, I just think um, would have put those lampposts a little bit further away from the actual spot where they were, were hit. Um, I also like to look at the, the grass around those pictures. Um, it looks like there really wasn't any disturbance in the grass at all. Uh, those lampposts as well, if you look at them, you know, there's there's some bends in them. You know, some of them look like they just were removed. I've heard theories that those, those posts are easily removed in the event that there's some type of an accident. Um, but, you know, I don't think that, you know, they could have steered an airplane or, or, or directed an airplane to a different course, but, you know, there's there's a lot of talk regarding the 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 lamps, and I just I look at them and I think that if a plane had hit them going the speed that that plane was allegedly going at that point, it would have done much more damage to those things and to the ground beneath them. Well, what do you think happened to them? Well, I'm not. I guess you don't have to answer that. Be able to answer that question, but you 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 should be thinking about it. For sure. I mean, uh, you know, that's that's another question. Who knows? Um, you know, I, I believe some citizens investigations team, you know, that's a that's a that's a touchy subject in the truth community. But I think that they've done some work on that. I think they've talked quite a bit about that, specifically Lloyd England. Um, he was the taxi cab driver that was in the, the, the cab where the light fell. Um, you know, uh, they get attacked quite a bit for for that uh, that portion of their their film work. Uh, but I think they've got you know, they've done some good stuff. They've got some good testimonies on there. So, you know, I, I certainly have my opinion when it comes to the, the lamp posts. Um, and again, I also like to lean on the things that Lee Wheelbarger has said. Um, he challenged me to a debate. That's a whole other topic of discussion, but um, he is. Tell us again who, who exactly uh, Lee Wheelbarger Barger is. So he was the director of logistics. He was the man that was in charge of the entire Pentagon cleanup. Um, he was a... Um, you know, I, I, I'm still learning about him. He's got a, a YouTube channel um, where he has a video that's about an hour long that talks about all of his different um, accolades and where he's served and what he's done. But he was the guy that was in charge of the, the cleanup that day. And um, I gave a presentation with a man named Jason Shirka about, oh, I want to say May of last year. 
And uh, a lot of people said, you know, you should talk to Lee. And sure as you're born, Lee showed up in that YouTube chat and, and said, hey, you know, give me a shout. Let's talk. I did that. And, um, you know, things kind of progressed to out of control levels. And it's 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 turned into something entirely different since. And so, um, you know, that's a whole other topic of discussion. Again, I don't want to end on that. But but, yeah, that's a really interesting series of interactions that I've got going on. And I can't wait to tell the, the world about them. And if you want to do that, you know, go to my my Instagram at Awakened Adam. Didn't he come out and actually say that you weren't even there? So he went on this really, really crazy rant. And all I did after one month exactly after he said that he wanted to talk with me, I went back to the YouTube video where he invited me to speak to him. And I just went down the line and listened, talked to everybody and said, hey, you know, it's been a month. I haven't heard back from Lee. He said he wanted to talk to me. Well, at that same time, he was live on his news channel because he's got a reputable news source now. now he's a reputable news source with a you know paid news subscription service. Um, went from in an hour, and I've got all of this on record, you know, from in one hour on YouTube saying he doesn't know me multiple times to putting words into my mouth to saying I wasn't there uh, to saying that I made a video and gave a testimony. And it's like, well, how do you know this if you don't know me? And now it's going to become a joke. I have gone on to his YouTube, onto his Instagram. I tag him and stuff all the time, telling him I'd love to debate him. He challenged me. I just wanted to speak to him. Um, but, you know, sent him to the roof, you know, dropping F-bombs, um, cussing, becoming completely unhinged. And this is the man with more time on site than anybody. So I might as well just say it here. Lee, if you're listening, I still want to publicly debate you, buddy. Why are you running from me? Um, Again, whole other topic of discussion, but I didn't challenge me to a debate. He did. Okay, then. Fair is fair. <laughs> okay. All right. So this next question, um, it sounds odd to me, but you probably know what he's talking about. It's from Cray9 uh, on YouTube. He says, did he smell cordite? Uh, it's a loose change reference. So... I, that's the one thing. Um, I, I don't know what cordite smells like. Um, just to kind of recap what I did say. Very well, tell distinct. us what it is first, uh, Adam. Well, you tell me. What, what is cordite? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, you're the Army guy. <laughs> I'm just an architect. Uh, What's that? Is, apparently, it is the component of a missile that explodes. I, yeah, I see. Know. I'm just, I was just an infantryman, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't carry <laughs> missiles, you know, I, I okay. M4 saw, you know, squad automatic weapons, um, 240 Bravo machine guns, hand grades, grenades, Claymore mines and land navigation. That's, that you know, sounds that, like fun. Oh yeah. It was a hoot. But unfortunately, no, the, the three things that I, I smell the most, it smelled like burning electrical parts, like nasty water that had been sitting and then human remains, which I don't, I hope this isn't too graphic smell a lot like a snake that have, has been rotting in, you know, in, in a field that there, there's very interesting smells there. I'm, I'm from the country, so I can, I can tell you that I've, I've driven past that scene a bit, but yeah, it's cordite, you know, next time I get my hands on some cordite, I'll let you guys know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. This next question is from Ray on YouTube. And he, the question is, he says the spalling, and I'm not sure if he meant to say spalling because I'm not sure what that means. It's uh, S-P-A-L-L-I-N-G. 
and total destruction of many reinforced concrete columns resemble that of the destruction caused to structures that are bombed. How powerful was the explosion? It's yield in tons of TNT. Yeah, that's that's a question in my in my testimony. I I, I clearly said that an explosion occurred, uh, but just if it, if anybody's watched that testimony on my YouTube channel, uh, you know that could be a number of different types of explosions. And I want to make that very clear. I and I even say in my testimony, I'm not a ballistics expert. I'm not an explosion expert, but but the scene itself. It just, it just seemed like a plane did not go in. Something else, you know, something internally had to have happened. And I, I, I really, truly believe that. I, I just do. And, you know, anybody that says, well, the witnesses, well, the witnesses paint quite a lot of pictures. I was a witness, too. I mean, at least, you know, I consider myself to be a firsthand witness. Um, but, you know, yeah, there's just... There's there's so much still that's just mystery mysterious about the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. This is another question from Ray on YouTube. He says, "If you think that explosives were used inside the Pentagon, what do you think would happen if a plane is exploded by explosives? Can it be that a plane and explosives were used in the attack?" Um, theoretically, I mean, sure. Um, I would then just kind of say, you know, you know. The, the actual path itself that the, the flight had to take into there, um, I think if there was some type of an explosion, we would have seen that um, more present, I guess you could say, um, especially, you know, down there on the other wings where, um, you know, it just, there was nothing. It was just, you know, kind of damaged nothing upward and, and that was it. Um, so I would also say, you know, I don't want to get too, too far away from the Pentagon, but you know, let's talk about, you know, Hani Hanjur, um, the pilot, you know, that's another mystery. Um, this man, you know, there's, there's, you know, people out there who are devoted to telling, you know, the story about how um, terrible of a pilot he was, that he could never in a million years um, navigate or negotiate anything like a Boeing 757. He had trouble with Cessnas. Um, a lot of different truthers out there know all those stories, so I won't bore anybody to tears, but um, you know, the plane had to get there some some way, somehow. Um, so I just don't have a lot of faith that even if it had explosives on it, that he had the capacity to do that. Mm -hmm. All right. And I'm copying over a question really quick here. Um, one second. All right. This is from Chuck. He says, Mr. Eisenberg, have you watched the five hour long presentation on the Pentagon by Wayne Costi and David Chandler? I have seen points of it. I haven't seen the whole entire thing. And I, and I, will, uh, I will say this, I, I respectfully disagree with those two. All right. Uh, and those, those people, uh, Wayne Costi and David Chandler, <coughs> are one of those that will be on our Saturday, <coughs> March 19th, 9-11 um, con conference. And so we can uh, ask questions uh, of them uh, and and they can clarify some of the things that hopefully they have heard some of your testimony, Adam. And and there can be some, and there will. The whole conference is designed to, to have dialogue, <clears throat> particularly around the three key research uh, researchers uh, over the last decade. Um, 
we're that's the way we're setting up the conference. So they can ask questions of each other after sure. an hour and a half long presentation. And I can say yeah. with total confidence that uh, Wayne and David know who I am. And uh, I'll say in front of the world, would love to, to talk to you guys. Um, the invitation is out there. Um, you know, David and I started talking and then he had some uh, business to attend to. And I still haven't heard back. Um, you know, Wayne is a, it's a little bit of a different subject, but I don't want to get into a contest with, with Wayne here. Not now. Oh, okay. Um, Gail, you, you can just read those questions from the source. Um, yes. I'm going to do that now. Take the time to bring them over, but go ahead. Okay. This question is from John for on YouTube. He says, have you, have you all seen the part of loose change movie that had a picture of the alleged double a pilot, Charles Burlingame, who is a former USN aviator standing next to a model of the Pentagon? Odd coincidence. I haven't seen that. Haven't so the American Airlines pilot was photographed standing on the lawn next to the Pentagon. The American Airlines 77 was what hit the Pentagon. So that's the coincidence he's questioning there. Is there any other part of that that's a coincidence that I missed in that question? Mm, that you guys that I can see. <laughs> okay. No. Um, all right. Let's see. All right. This is from Diana on Facebook. She says, did you see signs of the renovations that had reportedly just finished up in that Pentagon wedge? Um, no, that we did not see. Um, didn't see any type of um, construction equipment, anything of that nature. Um, I believe the generator and some of those trailers outside were there for that purpose. Um, at least that's what the, the narrative, mainstream narrative states. But while I was in there, um, did not notice any signs of construction or anything of that nature. Well, most of that construction had been done. Um, that is one of the pieces of the Chandler Costi work that I did have a chance to see. And they pointed out very carefully, uh, both uh, before 9-11 and in the wreckage, the, uh, the evidence of the retrofit of that particular area that did get hit, such as the steel uh, frames uh, for the windows and Kevlar over uh, the, uh, the brick facade, uh, not facade, but brick infrastructure between the facade and the, the Kevlar panels that are designed to take blast. So uh, it, it, it is, it, for, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, there, it was the area that got blast resistant renovation. Who knows why they did that if they were going to intend on blowing it up or hitting it with a plane or whatever. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what that means. Okay, there's another question from Ray. Ray asks such awesome questions. He's really good at this. Um, he says, he's on YouTube. Did you ever read the Pentagon Building Performance Report of the Pentagon? And did you read what they write about the explosion? Is it even mentioned how powerful that explosion was? Haven't read it yet. Um, you know, a lot of my research in the last year, you know, when I really decided to dig into this, and, and make my statement, you know, that was about this time last year, I made it in, in December. But uh, since then, you know, I have been kind of organically growing this thing, doing it in my spare time. You know, I have to be a human, I have to pay bills, I have to do all these things first. But um, so, yeah, there's still a lot I have not gotten to, um, that being one of those things. 
Um, I've got quite a bit of reading, you know, lined up. I've got a, a, a data vault that's full of PDFs. Um, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm definitely interested in hearing every single opinion. Um, I will, in my, my opinion, uh, one day, I'd like to be considered to be one of the subject matter experts, but um, haven't crossed that yet, but I'll keep my eyes out for it. And you got a full-time business too, don't you, to attend to? Yeah, so I, I do work a nine to five. I also have a, a, a customized kosher business, my girlfriend's customized kosher business. Um, you know, she she does that. I help out. I take orders very well in that regard. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, and why why did you wait twenty years to talk about your experiences there? I mean, you knew that for twenty years the the official story has been that a plane hit, and yet you had uh, evidence that it didn't. What was going on there? Well, I, I do have plenty of fr- uh, family and friends, you know, this is spanning back all that time that will go on record saying that I was saying these things. I just wasn't taking the type of public stance that I was taking, um, just because obviously I think it can be it can be argued right now that our, our country is in a lot of trouble. The world is in a lot of trouble. And, and that's a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down because that's a whole other topic of discussion. But um, people... Are, are seeing the lay of the land now for what's really happening. And so I have people's attention. And so I decided that, you know, I was going to give my testimony, get it out there. And then it just started to blossom. I realized that I could be doing more. And that's why I, I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, since then, and really since since Lee started to say what he did and act the way he did, um, that, that was really what kind of gave me, you know, about last May, June, somewhere in the neighborhood. That's what really gave me the the, the drive to um, become very outspoken about it, um, to, to try and change a paradigm, um, to ultimately, you know, show that, um, you know, our government can't be trusted, um, our national government can't be trusted, and that, uh, you know, a lot of things need to be unearthed especially in the face of everything that's happening right now with mandates in a lot of different directions that we're taking internationally and with our own citizens. So, um, you know, I'm here just to, to warn people just to, to be very, um, just be very mindful and very vigilant about what you're being told to do right now, because you know, not very long ago, um, you know, I think that these people showed their cards and what they're truly capable of doing. So Gotcha. All right. Um, let's see. Um, well, this isn't a question, but I'm a very proud mama because I just noticed that my son Ben is watching and he commented <laughs> right on. He's a that? truther. This guy, he my what I have eight kids, and he's one of my sons, one of my older sons, and he has been telling me since he was probably 12, 14 years old, and he's 20, uh-oh, 27, <laughs> I think. Um, he's so awake, and he loves this kind of stuff. He just, he really feeds on it, and he is, he would surprise most of us how much he's aware of and knows about, but anyways, um, uh, I don't see... Um, hello, Ben. Yes, hello, Ben. Ben Bradley. Um by the so way, she does have eight kids. I've met every one of them. In fact, they're now my kids. Uh, that's that's what right. When you marry somebody with eight kids. And, uh, he, and, and he inherited three grandkids, too. So. Yeah, all of a sudden, yes. like instant grandkids. That's nice. a, that can freak you out more than standing in future water. <laughs> freak you out. 
Somebody Richard tells does. me you're doing all right, though. He does have one son. He has a son, Ryan, and Ryan's awesome, too. Um, nice. So this, um, this is from Anthony on Facebook. He says, have you seen the presentation from Barbara Honiger in regards to the white plane that exploded near the firehouse at the firehouse? I've watched some of Barbara's presentation. Um, I would love to speak with her. I know uh, Captain Dan Hanley with uh, 9-11 Pilot Whistleblowers tried to link us up. Um, I wrote an email. I have no doubt that she's very busy. I obviously would love to speak with her. Um, and I do have some questions that I have just based on um, her presentation. Um, but uh, I know that she's made quite some, some waves in the truth community. Well, uh, she, she's, she, show, she will be showing the evidence uh, that she has for a large plane exploding near the helipad on Saturday, March 19th, again, uh, and at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, so <clears throat> uh, you can, you can, uh, you can ask her those questions, uh, our, our viewer there. And, um, and uh, I don't know, we might, we might even uh, bring you back, Adam, if you're willing to uh, have a short testimony uh, this was our ex extended testimony, but we have to con make it we have to make it uh, concise for that purpose because we've got so many speakers. For sure, I would love to to come back to say the word. Okay. <clears throat> um, this is a question, but you you already shared that you would like to um, dive into it deeper in a different platform or a different time. But he's asking generally, David. Uh, on YouTube says, what is it about Wayne Costi and David Chandler's accounts that you disagree with generally? So he's asking for a general. Sure. Um, well, well, they obviously believe that a Boeing 757 hit the Pentagon. So we disagree there. Um, but, you know, I, I just, <laughs> I, I could say some things, but it, it's really hard because I don't want to call them out. Um, I have respect for them. Um, you know, and so I, I would actually prefer not to address those here and, and hold off and wait until this next collaboration. Yeah, good call. All right. I don't see any more questions. I hope uh, for all of you that are asking questions, I hope I haven't missed your question. Um, I'm glancing back through all of them. And... Yeah, well, it's time uh, to, to probably time for, to to give Adam a rest. I know he's been this this little PowerPoint, which is a, a big PowerPoint. He just put it together tonight. I'm a witness of that, and it it is uh, great of you, Adam, to take the time from your busy life to 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 put all this together for our education that we can know more. Uh, at least from the an eyewitness perspective, uh, on the boots, literally on the ground in the water, um, I can't even imagine that, that kind of uh, feelings. And well, let's just ask you this question: what, what that that had to be fairly traumatic? That experience of picking up uh, pieces of dead bodies. I mean, I can't even imagine myself uh, doing anything like that. Uh, what do you have any? Thoughts about that, not not to make it more gruesome, but did, sure. did your life was your life impacted by that work? 
That's a great question. And I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things I remember most clearly was um, the very last day that we did anything with the Pentagon, we had a, a team of army therapists come over and they said, you know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, but your lives will start to change. Um, you will come to a point in time where this circumstance might um, linger in ways that you just don't understand. And when that point in time comes, you need to talk to somebody. So I'm glad they said that. Um, and it was my father um, who also spent extensive time in the service. Um, you know, my family's military history goes quite back a ways. My father said to me, you know, you, you don't have to be getting shot at to experience post-traumatic stress disorder. And so there was a point in my time in my life back in about 2009, 2010, where I was just not very wild about some of the behaviors that I saw coming from me. And that that was a tough pill to swallow. And when that point in time came, I did try to speak to a civilian therapist. Um, and, and it was kind of funny. I still remember his reaction. You know, we were going through the process. He he didn't specialize in PTSD, but I wish you guys could have seen the look on his face when we finally started to cross the the bridge of, you know, I don't think that a plane hit the Pentagon um, because that, you know, outside of the traumatic experience, you know, that rattling around in my head for quite some time um, has has done things that are very difficult to explain. Um, you know, watching especially a, a country deteriorate, watching the national debt continue to skyrocket, you know, the wars were not ending. And I had, you know, dear friends of mine that were reenlisting, staying in and going off and losing their lives in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so finally that came to a head and I tried to talk to somebody about that. And it wasn't, it wasn't very easy because, you know, I don't think this guy really knew what he was doing, um, didn't know how to address me. And so I took a step back and I kind of tried to, to, you know, help myself over the years, study PTSD. I got into the VA system. And, and started working with the Veterans Administration trying to establish benefits. Well, coincidentally, um, you know, I am still fighting with the Veterans Administration over 10 years later um, because the stance of the United States government is that I was never at the Pentagon and they can't even prove that I was in the Army, even though wow. I've shown you guys two official inquiries uh, to get my official paperwork both of which come back with practically nothing. And I'm not the only person in my unit that can say that. So that's another thing that is really suspicious. But, um, you know, spoke with a, you know, VA therapist as well, trying to get answers, um, trying to do better, um, you know, trying to bring closure. And even then, they really couldn't do very much for me. And it was finally on my own where I discovered, you know, meditation, breath work, um, things of that nature. You know, and that's where I really started to find that I was finding the most success. So, hmm. well, I'm gl I'm glad to hear you're heading in the right direction. That's just awesome, and we'll continue holding you in our prayers, Gail and I will. Thank you. And I I just Absolutely. want to thank you once again, Adam. Uh, it's been uh, an incredible evening, and we've yeah. come to that point where we gotta let you go. And yeah. uh, so. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. We'll catch up with you again, okay? Yeah, Most thank definitely. you, Adam. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And there he goes. Gail, what yeah. did you think? <laughs> that was awesome. Wow, a lot of information. And, you know, to me, he just he he just really 
feels so credible. The fact that he was there and as an eyewitness, this isn't secondhand. This is what he's seen with his own yeah. eyes. So that makes it much more to me credible and compelling um, rather than somebody drawing conclusions from watching videos or hearing testimonies from other people, you know, he actually was there. So this is a firsthand uh, witness. And the first time that, uh, that I'm aware of, uh, for somebody who was inside the Pentagon yes, yes. working for a month or 20 days. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and you know what? Yeah. I'm still profoundly disturbed by the lack of, them finding the golden uh, uh, treasure of the two jet engines. Maybe they did find mm -hmm. it, and I just don't know about it. We'll have to ask uh, some others uh, who yeah. have greater expertise uh, than us. But, I mm -hmm. mean, if that was found, you would think it would be all over the newspaper. That would right. be the proof that right. all these people are looking for. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. rather than the more subtle proofs that are pretty impressive, actually, when you start to look at the actual evidence, uh, for instance, of Costi and Chandler. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it is a puzzling set of data that it, all these different experts are drawing on, Barbara Honiger, Craig McKee, mm -hmm. uh, Craig Ranke, the Citizens Investigation Team, uh, and, and, and Chandler and Costi, they, they all have the same set of evidence and they have completely different opinions. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some of which are a little closer to the official story than others, um, but go ahead. Well, I was just going to comment also that, you know, as many different opinions as there are out there about the different topics, whether it's the World Trade Center or the Pentagon or even Shanksville, that what I really love to see is these experts who have different opinions, different beliefs, different facts that different they are bringing up. Yeah. yeah it, but that they can come together in a mature, civil, friendly manner and, and Cross share what finger. they, I hope so, you know, <laughs> and, and just as I'm moderating on, as I'm moderating on Facebook and YouTube, the, the social media where the comments are coming through, you know, there always has to be one or two people that just, you know, if somebody has a different opinion than them, they just have to put down anybody oh. who believes different than they do. And, you know, and I just want to speak on behalf of everybody who's seeing these certain comments, you know, just know that that person is more, you know, it's a reflection on their character. It has nothing to do with the credibility of the the guest speakers or Richard or any, any of the rest of us that are commenting and, and, and listening to the podcast. So I would encourage all of you, if you don't agree with the speaker, if you could please refrain from making very demeaning, rude, hurtful comments, keep it, you know, keep it lifted up, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's right. It is. It's only a reflection on your character being negative. That's all it is. So please keep negative comments and, down if you can. I might go delete them all. <laughs> Yeah, right. And, and we do that and because we expect mm -hmm. a, a, a minimal level of maturity. And when we don't yes. get it, you're gone. Yes. You're I, I gone. will I be care. I will be deleting. Yeah, I will be deleting some of the comments that are on, on there on Facebook. That yeah, we'll block them. Un unnecessary. Yeah. They've lost the right to to comment. Mm -hmm. if, Absolutely. If it goes like that. And you All know right. who you well, are. So 
<laughs> Moving on now. <laughs> and and um, just a last plug now for 9-11 Con, March 19th, yeah. Saturday. Uh, the Pentagon is the subject of our inquiry. We have at least three leading uh, uh, 9-11 truth researchers of over the last decade, um, expertise expertise in their subject that they do have. Um, so join us. It uh, starts at 10 o'clock Saturday, March 19th, and book every third Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> because 9-11 Con is going to keep going uh, right up, uh, including September 11th, uh, whatever day that is happening. Uh, we will have a three-day conference, and we will make it worth your while. So oh, don't absolutely. forget. It's going to be so exciting, Con. so much fun. <laughs> and thank you, Gail, for helping us. We're going to let you go first. And uh, You're welcome. Try our exit strategy here. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you. And we will um, uh, end with this. Formative and soul-stirring episode of Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed. We'll be on the air again next week with another very special guest in the 9-11 Truth Movement and beyond. Visit us at richardgage911.org where you can find our schedule, learn about the WTC evidence, and of course, sign up for our emails and support us. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Subscribe.